Oh, there's nothing quite like the smell of fresh blood upsets in the month of March. The 12-5 stunners, the 11-over-6 buzzer beaters. But most of the time, what do you get for that? A dash of I told you so at the water cooler? Oh, look at my bracket. I nailed that one. Great. Wouldn't you rather get paid instead? At mybookie.ag, you can and you will. The 12-5 upset when betting with MyBookie is a take-your-girl-out-to-steak-dinner winner-winner. And right now, when you sign up for an account, MyBookie will match your deposit with a 50% bonus. Here, just have 50% more. Why not? Use promo code ZABE, Charlie, Zulu, Alpha, Bravo, Echo, at MyBookie.ag to activate. We're all going to be in office pools, and that's fine. Nobody's going to get the perfect bracket. We know that. But you can make a killing at tournament time by seeing the big mistake coming and pouncing. So let's go, people. My bookie will match your deposit with a 50% bonus. Use promo code ZABE to activate the offer. You play, you win, you get paid. Only at mybookie.ag. Today on the ZABEcast, what are the New York Giants doing under Dave Gettleman? We're not trading Odell Beckham Jr. Oops, never mind, we just did. Gary Williams, the other Gary Williams, morning drive host on the Golf Channel, joins me, a former radio colleague of mine from back in the day. We'll talk Tiger, golf, life, shot tracer, and more. All that plus more fallout from Operation Varsity Blues. Bonus save is locked and loaded, so buckle up and let's go. Oh, here we go. Thursday, March 14, 2019. Thank you for downloading and thank you for subscribing. Before I get into everything today, I need to put out the bat signal for some help. I need a microphone slash audio expert to help me out. I believe that now that I'm using this device, the Rodecaster Pro podcast unit mixer thingy, I believe that the overall quality of my microphone and my voice and the processing that's in this thing, I think it's a lot better than this podcast used to sound. However, and maybe I'm just delusional, I think my voice could sound even better. I don't know how to do it, though. I'm pretty good knowing technology And I know just enough about engineering to be dangerous when it comes to audio and processing and filters and all this other stuff. I'm way out of my depth. And you know me, I love to buy shit. So if it requires buying a new, more expensive microphone, I'll do it. Anyone that would like to step up, somebody that's in the audio business, in the radio and or vocal and or music business that understands it deeply and can get on the phone with me and I can talk to him about, okay, how come it sounds like this? Like right now, it sounds like my voice is a little pinched and a little nasally from what it otherwise could be. And I know that a lot of it has to do with the room you're in and I don't have the best soundproofing in this room, but I think it's sufficient. It's not totally live. Anyway, just help me out. So email me, Zabe at yahoo.com. The New York football giants. What are you doing? Boom. Trade of Odell Beckham Jr. last night. For essentially two number ones and a third, 
The second number one pick is in the form of a player in Jabril Peppers. And the haul was a lot better than what the, you know, Raider, or what the uh, Steelers got for Antonio Brown. Now I'm reading Mike Florio, profootballtalk.com today, and he's saying how Gettleman kept saying, he kept saying, we're not trading him. We're not trading him. He kept saying, why would we give him a new contract then trade him? We didn't do that. We didn't sign him to a new deal then trade him. And yeah, from a logic standpoint, they're eating a lot of cap space, not as much as Antonio Brown. I think the number was $16 million. They're eating a lot of cap space for a guy that they shouldn't have paid that money to just a year ago. So what's the change of heart? Why is Gettleman doing this? I thought the best answer to that question was found about 10 comments in underneath the article. And I always read the comments. There's a lot of good takes and good thinking done by commenters on stories. Not all of it's great. Some of it's just stupid and mindless and trollish, but a lot of it's smart. The commenter said, and this was something Florio didn't bring up in the piece, and he probably should have. Maybe he didn't think of it. What happened? Antonio Brown happened. And Gettleman looked at that and said, okay, I see what's coming now. It's just a matter of time. Odell Beckham Jr. is going to complain again about, I want to be out of here. I want more money. I want a new, new contract, or who knows what it is. But Antonio Brown leveraging and power play him, power playing his way out of Pittsburgh was the ghost of Christmas future that scared Gettleman and the Giants. That's as good a theory as I have got right now. And it makes sense. It's okay to have a diva wide receiver. I know I advocated for getting Antonio Brown. I think Brown and Beckham are two totally different cats. Well, not totally different. I think they're very different though, in terms of their maturity and in terms of their level of crazy. The Cray Cray on Odell, way up there. The Cray Cray on Antonio Brown is a lot lower. But basically the Giants said, we see this coming. It's not going to be good. This is the direction we're going. Eli has got to be thinking to himself, God, why am I here? Why am I here for this last year? I am so going to suck without Odell Beckham Jr. Saquon Barkley has to be saying, God damn it, what am I doing here? Why did I get drafted by these guys? Although he doesn't seem quite like the guy that's going to moan about it. I don't think he will. Maybe he's got a stiff upper lip. The other thing is the Giants are doing the kind of hard reboot that I advocated my Redskins do. Gettleman may be an idiot, and this may all turn out badly, but he is taking it down to the wood, stripping it down. And yeah, they're going to be in the running for Tua next year, and they're going to have the assets to go up and get Tua. That's part of the reason of, hey, we got an extra number one. Those extra number ones are such powerful leverage to go up and get a guy you want. And so the Giants are going to be players for him. I think there's no question about it. Le'Veon Bell is a jet. His deal is not nearly enough to make up for the $14 million he lost last year. Who knows if he would have gotten hurt? Who knows if he would have been as pr- productive? Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? 
yes, Le'Veon Bell forfeited a certain chunk of money, but in a way I respect and kind of admire his ability to follow through with what he said he was going to do. I'm not playing on a franchise tag. If you do this again, I'm sitting out. And he did. Whether you think it's stupid or throwing money away, that's fine. I respect the fact that he fought against that tag. Do you know there's only six, I think, franchise tags currently being applied in the NFL? And I've said it before. I'll say it again here. The union and Demora Smith have felt, well, we don't want to fight hard to remove the franchise designation, the next collective bargaining agreement, because it only affects a few players. And you can point to this. You're like, well, only six guys have used it. It's actually... To me, it's the looking at it completely backwards. It's doubly bad that only six franchise tags are being used because that means 26 other teams don't have to pay any of their players at the top five of their position, which is, or top three, I think it is, that the franchise tag mandates. So not only is it, you know, they're only using it on six guys, so you're not reaping the benefits of everyone having at least one franchise player who's going to get at least a one-year deal that's top of the market. On top of that, the franchise tag can be pulled out of their back pocket as owners at any time to use on any player to keep them from cashing in at their maximum value. It was rare to see Gettleman not use the franchise tag on Landon Collins, given the fact he would have cost $11 million this year and he got an average annual value of guaranteed money of $14 million for the first three years with our Redskins, my Redskins. You could say that was a botch by Gettleman as well. But a huge favor to Collins because Collins didn't want to sit for one year, one more year at only $11 million, no extra money. He would have much rather done what he did, gone out and gotten forty-five guaranteed on a total of $85 million deal, much of which you won't see, which we all know. The union has got to focus on and kill the franchise tag and the transition tags. All these tags are poison. They are smart bombs the owners can use whenever they want to basically deny a player a chance at free agency to break the bank. Oh, no, here's a tag. Boom. Hit you with it. Redskins did that with Kirk twice. Still lost because Kirk kept saying, hit me again, hit me again, hit me again, I dare you. And in the case of Le'Veon Bell, he didn't win so much as he forfeited $14 million guaranteed, but at least I respect the fact that he followed through with his threat. So you combine all these things going on, the league is it's changing. There's a changing power dynamic here where Certain players are feeling more confident in their ability to leverage their way out of situations or their ability to fight back against the franchise tag, and it's going to affect future teams' decision-making going forward. Kyler Murray's having his pro day today. I'm not watching it. Apparently, he may or may not be measured. He may or may not run the 40 again. He's expected to throw. But what, what happens if there's a Kyler Murray pro day And Kyler Murray just stands there and says, what's up? Oh, you want me to go do football stuff? Nah, I'm not going to do that. But thanks for coming out here. Appreciate it. Good to see you here in Norman. It's great. Some are saying you shouldn't do anything. Some are saying he can only hurt himself. 
He's easily going to be a top five pick in the draft. Why throw on perhaps a windy day and have some throws not look very good? Oh, we got to knock him down here. It is all such bullshit. You have his college tape. You should be able to evaluate him on that alone. And yeah, you probably want to get a hard measurement of exactly how tall he is. But I'm sure he's been coached on ways to stretch himself out vertically to tippy-toe without tippy-toeing, right? There's got to be a way while you're standing flat-footed to expand your joints somehow and to raise yourself up and to crane your neck in just a certain slight little way to give yourself an extra quarter or half an inch. But is it really going to matter come Sunday? I think the answer is no. My next guest I met almost 25 years ago when he was a listener to my radio show when I was a a young 20-something with hair and a gleam in my eye and dreams for my career. And he invited me to his golf weekend in Chapel Hill. I was living in Chicago at the time, and he was living in Charlotte. Since then, Gary Williams has been a Cinderella story of self-made broadcasting goodness. He's very good on the golf channel. He played golf at Vanderbilt. He was a club pro briefly in Florida. He sold long-distance telephone packages back when that was actually a thing. Then he got on our station in Charlotte doing a golf show on Sundays, WFNZ Radio. That was when I was there. When I left, fired, he took over for my morning show. I held no ill will. He had nothing to do with me getting fired. He got the opportunity and ran with it. He got hired by SiriusXM's Mad Dog Channel, did mornings for them for a number of years, and then landed at Golf Channel almost 15 years ago. Since then, it's been a charmed life, and hell, I ain't mad. I ain't even jealous. I just want to know, does he need a 50-year-old intern? Great to reconnect with you, Gary. It's been too long and so many years since the cradle of sportscasting greatness at WFNZ AM radio in Charlotte that produced Pac-Man, who's now on Sirius XM, Mark Packer, uh, Dave Jagler, who is the voice of my Washington Nationals, uh, John Mita Perel, who I guess was doing stuff in Boston, still probably is up there, voice of the BU Terriers. You, of course, the celebrity who's on television, and then I'm a podcaster, so I count a little bit towards what was a cradle of greatness type lineup in what, 97, was it? It was uh, it was actually prior to that. It was ninety it was ninety six in the ninety seven, and I'll never forget because you and I connected when you were on one on one sports out of in Chicago, Chicago. Came down, came down. You invited a, me to play. Yeah, you invited me to play in your awesome Ryder Cup style tournament with your buddies called the Blue Cup at the incredible. What was the uh, the course? Governor's Club. Oh my God, that place was heaven on earth. And that was. Steve, the- you know what happened? You know what happened? That, that one of the one of the one of the nights. I remember getting you, picking you up at the Raleigh Durham Airport. But one of the nights, the first year that you came to the Blue Cup, Ben Hogan passed away. And I remember we were in the cottage really? we were staying in, and you know they were they were you know G- Golf Channel had just been born, so we were actually getting like some real intel on the passing of Ben Hogan. I remember you saying, "Hey, hey, shut up." you're like it's all these guys were in the room like hey this is important (laughs) i don't remember that at all but that's fascinating so what year did golf channel start 1995 february of 95 
Wow, that's fantastic. And of course, so I'm, I'm Steve. I'm an assistant at Seminole Golf Club, and you know, I'm single. I'm living down there, and I'm thinking to myself, okay, I love this, but I don't get it. I, how is this going to happen? How is this going to work? How in God's name are they going to fill 24 hours of, of programming with this niche sport? And, you know, for years and years and years, yeah, there were a lot of infomercials. Um, and then oh, you know, obviously yeah. getting the, the tour rights at the beginning of, of the century, literally, uh, was the game changer for, for the company. But um, and, and is the Golf Channel, you and I, is the the way, golf cha- hold on, yeah. is the Golf Channel thriving right now? Yes. Good. It, see, what, it what, what, seems like yeah. it, and I can just speak as a golf fan on the other end of things. It is so great that you can immerse yourself in the game and in the tours, plural, Monday all the way to Sunday, and then just re-rack it. I know us golfers love that. You guys are more and more places and covering the game more. I mean, I'm looking at practice round footage yesterday on the Golf Channel uh, for the players, and I'm thinking, I don't need this but I like this. Right. It is, you know, I'm sitting here in my hotel room. I did a, a shoot yesterday for golf channel Academy with Mike Weir and I'm watching Webb Simpson on the range right now. And you're going, why are you watching that? I don't know. Cause I love golf because, and it's on. And why, why, right. Why not watch him warm up? And you'll notice certain things like, Oh, that's interesting. Why does he have that alignment tool or whatever the case is? It's just golf nerdery. It's great. I'm glad it's thriving. You are not on weekday morning drive, which is why I texted you going, hey, man, what's going on? Where are you these days? And you're like, I do weekends now. You obviously don't wake up early enough, but you do weekends morning drive, and you do these other special uh, you know, golf academies and other features, and you're going to be traveling for certain events, everything else, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm doing all that stuff. And, you know, for somebody like yourself who, who – you know, did morning radio for so long. You know, it's interesting, Steve, when I, and I, I go back to when you came down to Charlotte for your remote, when you were out of Chicago, we put it Lark Haven and, <laughs> and I then recruited you. It was almost like, I felt like coach K I, I was, I was going into the inner city of Chicago <laughs> to get somebody to come down to tobacco road. And you left a national platform uh, to come and do, to do local radio at FNZ. But anyway, um, yeah, in terms of what I'm doing now, I, it'll be June of 1999 when I it was June 21st, 99 when I started doing the morning show that that was your real estate on FNZ. So I'm approaching 20 years of doing mornings. You know, almost 10 years at FNZ, a couple at SiriusXM. It's a, mir- at, it's a know, miracle you're not town. dead after all uh, those morning true. wake-ups and doing morning drive on television. Your wake-up call was what time? Three o'clock. Jesus. Yeah, see, morning radio, I can wake up an hour before, and if I get into the studio with five minutes to spare, I'm good. Television's a whole different ballgame. Totally different thing. Morning production meeting started at 4 a.m. every day for in 2011, 2012, two straight years. Three o'clock wake-up calls, the tedium of, of television, which is it's just totally different in you know, makeup, and you can't look like a, you know, a bag of manure when you go on the air. So, I mean, it was, it, it, yeah, I mean, it's different. And this is my ninth year of doing morning drives. So getting, you know, just doing weekends and allowing me to do these other things and, and creating the podcast, which I started at the beginning of the year, uh, is, is a great change in my routine. Because again, like you've done, like you did 20 years, 
of, and everyone says, well, you get used to it. No, you don't. It's no, irregular. It's a train when wreck. the alarm goes off at yes. 3 o'clock in the morning. Yes, our, our, our ancient caveman circadian rhythms tell us, don't get up if it's dark. It's programmed, right. hardwired into our DNA. If it's dark, just stay lying down, and when it's light, you can get up and go hunt for food. <laughs> that There's no changing that, and you're right. That's the, that's the deal. All right, so let's get into some – I mean, there's so much to talk about uh, with the tour these days and the game of golf. Let me start with the new schedule because this week the players moves back to its, you know, traditional, I guess, March spot. How do you think this new schedule with the PGA in May – and everything wrapping up with the Open in July, how do you think that's going to play long-term? I think it'll work, but I think all these players are – we've already seen you know, some, some clumsiness is trying to figure out, okay, wait a second, hold on. I've got, I've got Riviera, and then I've got a World Golf Championship, and then all of a sudden it's the Florida Swing, and the players is two weeks out beyond Honda and, and Bay Hill – and, and I think that there are, Steve, I think there's certain events like Honda got dinged this year. Their field was yeah. down. They got a great week they, they you get beyond the marquee of, of who in the top 15 in the world is in the field. And then when it comes down to it, you, you got a great Sunday, but, but I think it's going to take a couple of years for all these players because look, when they created the, the world golf championship series, literally 20 years ago, it's 20 years old. It's like, great, you know, you get the best fields more often, and, and that's a great thing. But, like, match play is on the back end of the Florida Swing before the Masters. If you make a run in that thing, that is, that's like going to Bandon Dunes and playing from sunup to sundown with your buddies for four days. Right. That's a slog. It's a, and you're going, oh, come on, you know, it's just golf. Look, you, you know, when you try to play mildly competitive golf – it can be exhausting. It's so mentally it's exhausting as much as anything it else. It mentally is exhausting. Yeah. And and that and you're right. If you go if you go deep in that event, it it's not really helping you for the Masters the following week, but the money is too good, so guys are going to yep. show up for it, and that's how it is. I just it's to me I'm a I'm a traditionalist in golf, and so I'm not sure I like the notion of the majors being wrapped up in July. I'm sure I'll get used to it, and I'm not sure how cold it's going to be at Bethpage in a month in May or it could be 46 and sleeting <laughs> right because you're I mean, from was... you're from there so you know you know oh. what it's like but all that said Gary I believe that what the PGA had become essentially which is a dead of August sloppy soggy steamy miserable major that mm-hmm. had to go that had to go I think agreed Totally agree. I think that the PGA, they, they did a couple things. Um, I, I think that the PGA did the players a solid because now, see, when the players used to be in March, it, it was too close to the Masters, and it, was a, it just had a weak buffer, and everybody who, who covered the event, it felt like a run-up, and it, and it really was not something that the tour liked, and I, I totally understand why. Now they've got four weeks out, so it stands by itself. And I think in time, Steve, I think, you, I think I'm going to like it. I think you will too because now the Open Championship will conclude the major championship season. August, you get the three events, not four. Um, you know, as long as they keep going to, you know, to good places and that little mini rota 
and then you know what? Look, the, the FedEx Cup playoffs were created for two players, Tiger and Phil, to, to, to try to tap in, get some audience, some residuals off of the football season, get out of the way, just get it. Now right. they get out of the way of football. That's the smartest thing time, the tour did. That's going to be a good thing. Smartest thing they did is they said, you know what, let's get out of the way of an oncoming train, which is football. Uh, a lot of other leagues or sports entities would kind of puff their chest out and say, well, you know, we have our fans and they'll find us anyway. Tour was like, this is stupid. This is not a fight that we want to engage in. So I think that makes uh, a ton of sense. But you say it was made for two guys, Tiger and Phil? It wasn't made yeah, for no, the entire I, no. tour? I, absolutely. Really? No, 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 there's no question. He, he, the Tiger is such the, the golf outlier of all time yeah. in terms of televised golf. His impact on on ratings is preposterous. Sure. You know, the Valspar, Sunday of the Valspar last year outrated every major except for the Masters. No, it didn't, did it? Yeah, 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 oh. it did. Oh, my God. Let's, all right, now, now look, that we're, okay. The, the, yeah. the, open, the open did very well, but you got, you know this, that's early morning hours. It's not late in the afternoon into prime time getting ready for 60 minutes on a Sunday night. Right. You know, the open championship, one o'clock on Sunday, it's buttoned up, it's over. So you get in, in, in the open, the open did a great number because he took the lead on the 10th hole. So, but, but if you look at all of the events that he contended from, from Valspar being the first one, he got, he pushed Webb Simpson just a smidge, made it kind of a little bit of a tease at the players, did it at Bay Hill. And then Rory shot 64 you look at every event that he contended in, it was exponentially yeah. higher. And that's why, it, it, look, Tim Fincham saw what he was, and they said, hmm. And they got a, they got a, a partner that was, it was willing to go in. And it's not just the $10 million that the winner got. The, the bonus pool for the playoffs, when they started, it was $35 million. Right. Now it's $70. When, when, is, when is that sponsorship up? They just re-upped. They did, okay. They just they got a renewal last year. So now, you know, see, which I think is a huge thing because you had to cover NASCAR when you got to Charlotte. And when they created that series, the branding in that series kept changing. So there was no Nextel, there was no Winston. Uh, it, exactly. What is it now? It, it, I don't even know. <laughs> I do not know what it's called. Does anyone still watch NASCAR? Sorry for my NASCAR fans out there. Just kidding. So when Tiger Woods finally is no longer a needle mover or the needle, which he has been, what's the mm-hmm. tour going to do? All right, do you feel like this current generation has enough star power and charisma? There's never going to be another Tiger, but are there two or three guys that you could ball together and get an approximation? Yeah, I think that there there's an there's an algorithm of of players together that can that can do um, you know you can, I I've thought about this with respect to you know post Michael in the NBA um, but but it's really hard to be analogous because because golf is what it is I I don't I've never lost sight of of what the lane that golf is in and and I think I think speed has to be a, a part of the equation. There's, there's something curious about him. There's something, you know, very all-American about him. The way he does it, there's an unorthodox nature of the way he plays. He's very verbal. Uh, I think that, you know, there are people that don't like him. They, they find his, 
you know, kind of his martyrdom at times on the golf course to be, you know, irritating. I find him fascinating myself. I find him completely fascinating because he is, he does it the opposite way that most of the best players in the world do it. That their greatest strength starts when the hole starts. His greatest strength was when he was at his best, when the hole ends. And it's almost like in a weird way, it's like Steph Curry bringing an art and a, and a skill back to the game with, you know, everybody was just six, eight and their measurables were off the chart. And they were great finishers. He took the game to it, to an artful place away from the basket while Spieth brought the game back closer to the hole where Dustin Johnson and Kepka, they just mutilate golf courses. Right. And it's not so much artistry and look, they're, they're incredible at what they do, but I, I think Spieth has to be part of it. I think Justin Thomas has, can have some traction, Kepka remains to be seen. I think he's finding his voice a little bit. Uh, but they've got to do it together. And I think Rory, from an international standpoint, is is the top face uh, that can be a part of how they can, you know, pull the sled post-Tiger. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a Rory guy, hopelessly so. Because so. to me, Gary, Rory is one of, the, one of this generation's players who never, to me, seems to get triggered. Like, you may disagree with his take or his stance on things like when he said, I'm not going to the Olympics and stood by it. I, I really liked him a lot more for that. I, I'm more disappointed when Rory doesn't finish out like he did this last weekend. But something about that Irish lad, that's my guy, period. The other guys, I like them all, Justin and R- Jordan and Ricky and all those guys, but I kind of run hot and cold at, t- cold at times. I never run cold on Rory. Yeah, I, I totally understand your your position on him, and I will tell you, I've, you know, I was lucky enough going all the way back to the beginning at, at, at my time at Golf Channel after he melted down on the back nine at Augusta in 2011. Oh God! I reached out. I, I reached out to his agent. Uh, there was a guy who was working for. He was represented at the time by Chubby Chandler, and there was a guy who was a friend of mine who was working for ISM. And I said, you know what? I said, you know, I'd like to spend a day with him. Caddy for him in the Pro-Am Rant at Memorial before the U.S. Open. Have a camera crew. Anyway, I did it, and I found him to be, at the age of 21, a really good listener, which this generation, right? does anybody listen anymore? And and there was no sense of entitlement. And, you know, he turned around and he came to your hometown and and just dusted the field of congressional. And in that time since, I find Rory to be incredibly normal, civilized, not predatorial, not somebody who, you know, he's not tiger. He's not that way. Uh, his parents have come to America. Uh, it's like an American dream. When I talk to him now, there's so little that we talk about that is about golf. It's about, it's about kids. It's about, it's about family. It's about culture. Um, and he is, and I'll, I'll tell you the whole thing about the Olympics. That, that he has not been, even though he's married to an American woman from upstate New York, and now he spends most of his life in America, he's not been crippled by the political correctness that I think so many American athletes find themselves saying, why well, say anything? All it can do is cost me. Right. He, he, the, the, the whole Olympic thing, they, they made him a political football. Well, that's the thing. Yeah, I, I, right. I, I learned about right. I learned about that whole, okay, whose flag are you playing under? And I got to learn more about it, and I go, oh, this is a real ball of yarn. How do you untangle this? 
that's exactly what it was. And he's he you know he's had members of his family who 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 were killed in the past in in the conflict that right. exists between the Protestants and the Catholics. And you know, look, he's not going to go into that. But you know, when he said he wasn't going to go. You know, some of the things he said, he said, I'll watch the events that are important. He was he was that I thought was something that, you know, maybe in time. And I guarantee you. So maybe that was a maybe that was a maybe that was a well, see, and that's that was my argument. I said, hey, it's the first one. And the Olympics didn't care about golf for 100 years. So what are we supposed to go rushing back and go? Oh, please. Thank you. Thank you. I said, let's see how it goes. And Rory's going to be around for some more time. If it goes well and there's another venue and he'll, he'll do it the next time. Relax, everybody, which I liked. <clears throat> also, you know, the thing about Rory, which is great, he had two absolutely traumatic experiences that he engineered, but he realized was best for him. The one, the breakup with Chubby Chandler was hugely mm-hmm. expensive, right? He ended up having to pay a ton of money to his former agent. For getting out of well, that no, deal. No, that was the second agent. That was the second agent. Connor oh. Ridge was okay. When he left Chubby, he went with Connor. But he and, yeah. and there was what what the what it was. Mm. I don't know. But that was that was that. The, I'll, but I'll the tell split. You a little funny the, hold on. The split. Let me just set this up. Yeah. The split with Chubby was a big deal, right? It was. Okay. Yeah, and, it was. A, it was. And guess where it happened? It happened in Bermuda, right at the end of the Grand Slam of golf. I'm there. It's October of 2011. He'd won the U.S. Open. He goes to that thing. And by the way, I, I recreated what I had done earlier in the year, caddied for him in the Pro-Am in Bermuda, had a camera crew, had a great day, and, and spent some time with his parents that week. The last night I'm, I'm there, Julie and I, my wife, we're going to leave the next morning, but we're going to play mid-ocean at 7 a.m. the next morning and then, and then get on a plane home. So we go have dinner. We walk through the lobby of the hotel, and we – we run into David and Joan Fay, and David Fay at the time was the executive director of the USGA. And they said, "Hey, come and have a glass of wine with us." And I said, "Honey, I'm, we're getting up at 5:30. I'm going up to the room. If you want to have a glass of wine, go ahead." She goes and has the glass of wine. I said, "I'll leave the door open for you." I leave the door open. I wake up at 1 a.m. and she's not there. I'm like, "What Uh-oh. in the world?" I walk down in the lobby. Somebody is vacuuming the carpet in the lobby. There's nobody around. I walk up to the counter and I said. Excuse me, I don't even know what to say to you, but I left my wife down here three and a half hours ago. I, I don't know where in the world she could possibly be. So, well, we do have a nightclub on the property. <laughs> so I'm like, there's no way she's there. Well, I walk down this long hallway, weaving around. The music is pulsating as it gets closer to me. And I see the lights of this nightclub. And I see in the middle of the dance floor, my wife dancing with Rory's dad, Jerry McElroy. I'm like, what are you doing? She's like, hey, come on out here. I'm like, look, you're alive. I'm going back to bed. Have fun. So Steve, I get up the next morning. I get up the next morning. She does. She feels awful, doesn't want to play golf. I go over to Mid-Ocean. I'm playing by myself. On the fifth hole, my, whole, my, my phone blows up, and they're like, what do you know about Rory breaking up with Chubby Chandler? He just did it in Kennedy Airport after leaving Bermuda. Oh, I'm like, I don't wow. know anything about it. Steve, I texted my wife, and I said, you won't believe it. Rory broke up with Chubby. In, in at Kennedy Airport today, and she said, "Yeah, Jerry told me he was going to do that last night." I'm like, "You went to bed on the biggest story in golf and didn't tell and your didn't husband." Tell me, right? Well, maybe she didn't think think of it, or she was just too tipsy and <laughs> spilled into bed, 
and forgot. Oh, how was your night, honey, with uh, Rory's parents? Oh, it was great. He's going to break up with his mega agent. It's going to be a huge story, but no big deal. Have fun in your round. I'm going to sleep in. Classic. Well, what if you had found her in Rory's room, how would you have handled that? Does would would she have gotten a pass? I mean, look at the kid. He's he's not only dreamy and nice, but man, he changed his body. And some people said yeah, he changed it too much. He was a little he was still a little cherubic okay. at that time. And he had, you know, he had the Was that the, Afro the, you know, Rory? The hair I thought was appealing. I thought it had a I a thought it had a childlike quality to it. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, now he's tightened it up. So he's tightened it up, and, and you know he's going to be thirty in May. And I, when the last time I saw him, I said, "You've got a little gray. You've got a little oh gray." And his dad boy. is no white. Oh my God! Well, so there, so just yeah. the, so that that one thing was a, a big traumatic thing that he felt he had to do, and I applaud him for that. The other one, mm-hmm. Gary, was breaking up with um, his tennis star girlfriend, uh, whose name yep. escapes me now. Caroline Wozniacki. Yes, Wozniacki. And it was it was a traumatic deal. It was not quite like Costanza with the uh poison envelopes. <laughs> but you're you're leaving you're leaving your fiance not quite at the altar, but pretty close. And it's a very public thing. And in the end, my respect for Rory just grew because those were tough things he had to do, and he weathered the storm and he did it with class. I, I I totally agree. I've I've never you know I don't I don't know the details on that, but that's not like you said. I mean that it, no matter how it was executed, when it was over, it would was going to be public. Whether it was going to be in the immediate or whether it was going to be with some type of delay, and and he 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 kind of navigated through that with a, a certain amount of you know just you know grace. And, 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 and I, I, I got to be honest. I mean, I, I actually, I ran the New York marathon three times and one of the years I ran it, she ran it. And I just so happened to be, you know, put in this little, little tent and she was, she was there and I had a nice chat with her and she too did not do the whole public sniping, taking, taking right. swipes at him. And, you know, you can, if you want to interpret an Instagram photo or whatever, yeah, that was the that was the rumor that her Instagram picture of him asleep looking stupid was the what pushed it over the edge. That he was like, That's not cool, I don't like that, and that was the start of the end. Who knows? Yeah, I, I don't have any earthly idea, but you know what? Um you All right, know what? So- she she married a guy she married a guy, Steve, who won the McDonald's All American Dunk Contest. So she's doing all, she's doing all right. He's doing all right because he married the gal that got her to the got him to the course on time at Medina where I was for that Ryder Cup. It was an amazingly beautiful fall day in Chicago that turned out terribly for there. the Americans. You of course were there. That story of Rory damn near sleeping through his tea time which was like 11 a.m. I mean, how do you sleep through that and then getting to the course on time and then beating Keegan Bradley is the stuff of legend. It, it is, and he was, you know, Keegan was untouchable for those three matches, and then obviously got sat the, down. You know, I'm sure that you've rehashed him and Phil sitting yeah. on Saturday afternoon a million times. But and the other thing, the interesting thing about Rory just just showing up as casual as he did, didn't look stressed. Uh, he fell asleep before that time. He fell asleep at Kiowa 
back in August of that year when he had the lead at the PGA. Really? And his dad had to come in and say, hey, hey. Wake up. You go. You got to go. He's like, oh, okay. <laughs> and then he dusted the field by eight. Oh, my God. That's amazing. All right, let's talk about some of the other uh, players currently, uh, big players on, on, on tour. Kepka, you said – you think is starting to find his voice. I saw he was on Fetty, although I didn't see mm-hmm. the episode. I know Brooks complained a little bit about, you know, the way the press treats him. And my thought was, okay, well, you're going to have to put a bit of yourself, bit more of yourself out there so we mm-hmm. can get to know you. I'm glad to see he's doing that because he's an insanely good player. Oh, there's nothing quite like the smell of fresh blood upsets in the month of march the 12-5 stunners the 11 over six buzzer beaters but most of the time what do you get for that a dash of i told you so at the water cooler oh look at my bracket i nailed that one great wouldn't you rather get paid instead at mybookie.ag you can and you will the 12-5 upset when betting with my bookie is a take your girl out to steak dinner winner winner and right now, when you sign up for an account, MyBookie will match your deposit with a 50% bonus. Here, just have 50% more. Why not? Use promo code ZABE, Charlie, Zulu, Alpha, Bravo, Echo, at MyBookie.ag to activate. We're all going to be in office pools, and that's fine. Nobody's going to get the perfect bracket. We know that. But you can make a killing at tournament time by seeing the big mistake coming and pouncing. So let's go, people. My bookie will match your deposit with a 50% bonus. Use promo code ZABE to activate the offer. You play, you win, you get paid. Only at mybookie.ag. He is, um, and, and here's the thing, that a couple things I know that you can look forward to. You know, the Faraday episode was good. I watched it the other night. Um, he, he, he did a tour and he did a tour recently, which included doing like a little town hall at Sirius XM. And he, he said a couple things about slow play. Um, he said he, he, he took on Sergio in the way that, you know, his petulant behavior in right. Saudi Arabia when he got disqualified. I know this, that, that Rich Lerner, who's a dear friend of mine and, and a colleague of mine, just completed, well, not completed it, but he just did all the interviews with Brooks, his mother, his father. It's a feature that's going to run. Uh, during the PGA Championship in May, and and they go really really deep on on not only his background but but you know this whole idea that you know I want a voice. Um, he's he's not gonna. I don't think he's really gonna go to that disrespect card much anymore. He played a little bit. He's moved on. But I think what you're gonna find with him is he went and spent time with um, some different professional athletes, and he's like, you know what? He's like, you know, these the ones that he happened to get some some exposure to. He's like, you know what? They're they're comfortable giving their opinion, and he said, I'm going to do it. And he's a, I think you would really like him. The other thing about him, a lot of people will post stuff about doing interesting things. He does interesting things. He just doesn't post it. Like it's not. These doesn't are brag my about experiences. It. When I load up my my crew and I go to Aspen. And, and go see for four days, that's a great trip. But no one's going to know about it because that's my time. Right. So I, I think you're going to find in time, particularly if he keeps winning, that you're going to he will appeal to you. He really will. Yeah, the one thing that stuck out to me, there was some quote that he said essentially because he played baseball originally, right, at Florida State? And his dad was a baseball player. Yeah, 
I think his quote, Gary, was, yeah, I'm not crazy about golf or, or like, I'm not like a golf fanatic, I think was what he said. And so the joke amongst me and my golf buddies, whenever we'd watch him on TV, we'd be like, hey, bro, you left, man? Yeah, this game's for nerds, losers. Watch this. I'm going to hit it 330. Like, I don't know why you think this game's so hard. It's not hard, man. And then he just walks off the course. But I'm, but my other argument, and we've been round and round with this, my friends, you can't be that good without loving it, the game. It's impossible. Yeah, you, you, I, think, I think what he's saying is, is that, look, I, I, I've got to do what I have to do to be as good as I am. So there's a, there's a combination of the, the competitive bent that is required to do the work. But the, the thing I think he's trying to say is, look, this is not all of who I am. Right. He doesn't want the it, game to define do, him. Right. The, the yeah, golf yeah. is not going to define look, me. Golf. It's my yeah. job. Right. It's my and job. I'm good at it. Yeah. And I like it and I work at it. But it's not, it's not all of me um, is what I think he's trying to say. Yeah, he loves it. All right, and he tw- loves beating guys. Oh, yeah. I know, there's no question about that. All right, 29 minutes in. Let's finally, I'm sure people are screaming right now at their uh, iPods right now. Does anyone have an iPod? By the way, Gary Williams' new podcast is available, I'm sure, everywhere podcasts are distributed. Tell people the name and where they get it. It's, uh, it's, it's the One Up uh, One Up podcast with Gary Williams. You can get it, Apple iTunes, Art19, uh, Spotify, Stitcher. And I'm, I'm, Steve, my, my, I've worked on this thing for about nine months, and I'm so glad I'm on the leading end of – like, nobody's got one yet. Oh, yeah, you're one of the Lord. first podcasters I mean, <laughs> out there. Congratulations on that. Um, <laughs> one you know, Up Podcast I, with Gary I, Williams. Yeah, the One Up Podcast with Gary Williams, and it's um, the format is two people together, um, and I, I, I want it to be a conversation. And so what's fun for me is to, to think to myself, hmm, you know, why would these two guys or two women or a man and a woman, why would that work? Like they may have a lot in common. They may have a little in common, but they have golf in common to some degree. Like for instance, this Friday, the, 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 the one that will drop is Jay Billis with Brant Snedeker. And you're going, what, what is that? Well, um, I know that they, they, I know they've spent some time around each other and, and they have a lot of interesting things in common. Like, Jay is a lawyer, still a licensing attorney. Uh, Brant's dad was an attorney. His brother's a judge. They have older brothers. Jay's brother was eight, is eight years older than him, who was a great player, who used to beat the likes of Mark O'Meara and John Cook wow. in junior events and at the club championship in Southern California. And Brant's brother is four years older than him, who, who's played in the Mid-Am. And, and not to mention, they're very argumentative. And they want to win the argument in a good way. So to put those two guys together, and it's like an hour and ten minutes talking about things that you know, from the the the, the culture of the Ryder Cup to pressure and the effect it has on performance, um, to you know, social media, talking about basketball, good stuff, uh, it, you know, good stuff. And so you know, I've done Butch and Bill Harmon. I did Tommy Randolph and Tom Roy, who are the co-producers of NBC Golf. They've been working together since 1981 doing golf. Wow. Um, I mean, in that hot, white hot truck. And, and the <laughs> only one that stood alone was the first episode. I told Jack Nicholas, I said, wow. this is the format, but you'll be first and you'll be alone. So anyway, awesome. 
Yeah, awesome. I'm, one up, I'm enjoying it. One up with Gary Williams. So 32 minutes into our chat here, people I'm sure are screaming at their iPods saying, talk about Tiger, talk about Tiger, you idiot, talk about Tiger. Here's my question to you, Gary. What version of Tiger are we on? My theory is we're on Tiger 3.0, and it's the mm-hmm. best software that he has had, and I'm happy to see it for him. What are your thoughts on what version Tiger were on and where he's at right now? Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that I, I think 3.0 is 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 probably the right way to look at it because you know post 09 that was you know 2.0 had some some good qualities to it. It had it had a Player of the Year. Uh, season in 2013 when he won five times, which included the players and a couple of World Golf Championships. But 2.0 um, was a bug. I thought 2.0 was a buggy software because 1.0 was the dominant Tiger that made legend. So when did that end for you? Well, in that, your mind, when did when did 1.0 end? <laughs> on Thanksgiving night, when the computer froze okay. up and you yeah. lost, and you basically you lost all your files on your computer. Tiger 1.0. Yep seized up the system tiger 2.0 had had a lot of ups to it obviously but there it was buggy there was some anger some resentment some confusion he was trying to find his way there was a lot of stuff mixed in there so it was a little bit whatever but after his you know this past 3.0 which i think came after he finally got healthy enough to compete like he did last year this is now the grateful tiger. This is now the the prospective tiger. This is the tiger who's willing to be more open. And I think he finally is truly just f- happy and thankful he can play golf at this level. And it culminated in Atlanta at the end of the year. Yeah, I, I, I think that that is a, that's a very sensible way of looking at it. And I think what, what, what he's going to have to do and what he's trying to do, um, which was, kind of a i've i've tried to find something that would seem um you know akin to to him evolving into a tactician which see here's the thing that people don't don't realize enough is that he was a tactician but but it was the hero shots and and the ridiculous length that that kind of cast aside the fact that stinger that's a guy who is finding, you know, where to play from the fairway and, and knowing where your misses are. He's got to do more of that, and he can't give you, he can't overpower golf courses the way that he used to. So the tactician was always in him. Now he's more reliant on that style of play. And that's why I think, like the players this week, where he can't lean on driver, doesn't want to lean on driver, and guess what? Neither can Kepka, neither can DJ, neither can Rory. It's turning points. It is, it's, it's playing the spots. And I think, you know, him this week is reasonable if his neck is right, which I think it probably is. And, and also being efficient, how much does he play? The, the thing, Steve, that it's going to come down to with him is something that my old boss, when I worked at Seminole Golf Club, Jerry Pittman, who was the best boss I ever had, it was a Hogan man, won tour events, had one of the great club professional careers. He said, Gary, any great player, if they if they have their nerve to putt well for 20 years, they're an anomaly. And once you get past that, you may have weeks where you where you are good enough to get it done. And I think that's 
what he's got to live with now. He cannot make everything the way that he used to. He can't rely on his his ability with his nerves to release the putter on putts that that matter so damn much. Um, that's going to be the interesting thing, particularly at Augusta National, where he's going to have to make a dozen to 15, six to eight footers to hold his rounds together from Thursday through Sunday. Can he do that? Yeah. That's the key. That's the thing. The uh, you mentioned, you know, not hitting driver everywhere, and the players. I'm sure you've seen this, but there is a pro tracer highlight of Tiger on 18 at at uh, the players with an iron, and he hits this stinger that not only screams 10 feet off the deck for at least 100 yards, but then begins a majestic arcing draw of about 20 yards, almost a hook, really dead into the middle of the fairway. And when you see that with Shot Tracer, which, by the way, Shot Tracer is the greatest thing the game has seen in 50 years. That highlight... It is. That highlight, Gary, is hypnotic to watch. I'm like, good Lord, look at that. You know, Steve, I, I, you, I know you're, you're, I'm not a, I'm not a techie. You are, and you've always been that way <laughs> uh, when it comes to understanding computers and the way that you built your, your man cave, you were well ahead of the curve on all that stuff. But I, I actually, one of the things that when I did my, uh, my podcast with Tommy Roy and Tom Randolph, I said to them about top tracer, I said, I look at it. It's akin to the first down marker it in is. football. It's a game changer. You can't they, use it enough. Exactly what it is. You can't and, use and it too much. Get, you, it, well, your players this week, you will get top tracer on all 18 holes. Not for every player, but for the you know the lead groups, um, T fairway. And I give credit. Uh, Fox really pushed the envelope when they got the USGA package right. in 2015. They were the ones who said, no, 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 we're not just going to you know cherry-picked this stuff. We're giving it to you from the fairway. Now, look, they, they almost probably felt like with Chambers Bay, which really was a very weird uh, place. You had no you know, bearings. You hadn't seen it before. Anyway, Top Tracer is, is the game changer. You can't live without it. Um, and, and I'll also tell you this about that tee shot that he hit on 18. Yeah, so- I talked specifically to those guys about the tee shot, if you remember, when he won the players in 13, he hit five wood off the tee on 18 on Sunday, and he, it was a little the, – the trajectory was a little bit higher, but it had the same shape. He just – he had one that just – that turned over, um, and I said to them, what is that camera? And they said, it's a hard camera, you know, down the line, right behind the players, and they had to get it high enough because there's a, there's a hump along that bulkhead at a point where if it's not high enough, you would lose the ball and not know whether it was – in the fairway or not. Right. So um, that, that, that angle, the one you're talking about is that. So that's the shot by tiger. You know, the one I'm talking about it. I've oh, watched, I sit there like a cat staring at a laser dot on the wall, hip, hypnotized <laughs> watching it loop 50 times. I almost don't believe it's real. Cause everyone says nowadays, Oh, this new, new golf ball. You can't move it. You can't shape it. Bull crap. He shaped yeah, the can. living shit out of that thing. It's and and that points to how good all these guys are. Tiger in a whole nother class. But this is another argument I've had with a golf buddy, Gary. A golf buddy of mine once said, "Well, I can hit any shot a tour player can hit. I just can't pull it off as many times out of ten as they do." And I said, "Are you crazy? No, you can't hit every shot." I said, "You don't even know the shots that they have that you've never even thought of." 
Am I right? I'll give you. Uh, I'll tell you for your buddy who. What is he? One, two handicaps. Yes. I mean, is he? Yes. Okay. Good player. All right. Well. All right. Well, I, one of one of the early podcasts I did was with Mark Mulder and Marty Fish, and these are the two, arguably along with John Smoltz, who I also did with Tom Glavin. Um, I, I spent the entire, almost the entire podcast, having Mulder and Fish explain the gulf between those guys being able to go out to Bel Air and Riviera and Mulder's out at Whisper Rock as a plus two and be able to shoot 67 with, with tour players. And I said to Mark, I said, what, what, what's the biggest difference? He goes, Gary, I can hit a shot maybe two ways. A tour player can hit it nine ways. They have right. nine windows. Right. They have three levels, low, medium, high, and they can, they can shape it right, left, High, low. He said they have nine windows. And, 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 and the next dimension is spin. They can hit these shots with different amounts of spin. Yeah, it, it, look, it, these two guys, I said to him, I said, if I gave you, and one of the things that's hard for them, I said, you know, you guys are, because Jack Nicholas said that Marty Fish was the best player he had seen who doesn't play professional golf for a living, who played another sport. And Marty's like, ah, you know, I don't know whether that's true or not, but I, and he's played some like gateway tour events. He did some pre web.com tour qualifying. Marty fish, said, by the way, I, is a professional tennis player for those that yeah, don't he's know. He's a Davis cup captain. Now he's left. I played with Marty. I played with Mark and they, they, they flight the golf ball like a tour player. And then from the tee, the things that they do are, 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 are modest compared to, and they know it and they said it. And right. I said that both of them, because he said, you know, one of the hardest things for us is that we don't want to embarrass ourselves. And I said, okay, I'm going to grant, I'm going to give you anonymity and I'm going to give you a full season on the web.com tour with your game and anonymity. And they, and I said, how many cuts are you going to make? I said, will you make half? No. Will you make six? No. Will you make three? No. Will you make a cut? Not likely. Wow. So yes, it, with a total uh, identity change, full disguise. They nobody knows who they are, so they're not like, oh, let's go watch X pitcher Mark Mulder. Uh, they they still don't think they can make a single cut on the web.com tour. No, and they, they you know, Mark's like Gary. I, I played. I played when I did this. He said, Gary, I played with Ches Reedy, and Ches Reedy has made a living playing golf, which is a hell of an accomplishment. He said, Gary. But, yeah, he, he, I, I played with him. He made eleven birdies and shot sixty-two at Whisperock, and then he goes out the next week, and you know he's 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 you know straddling the cut line. Right, it's sick. By the way, what about Romo and Curry? Because those are two guys that have I think turned a lot of heads amongst us golfers as wow, they're really good. Yeah, they're good players. I mean, you know, and what Steph did in that the the one round that that he he played one good round, which is a damn miracle, and and then the next day he shot a million. And and for Tony, he's going to play in the Nelson this year. And right. again, they're both really fine players. But but like like Tony Romo sitting in the pocket and throwing a pass with with barbarians breathing down his neck and hitting a guy in stride with with equipment on and like Steph Curry flicking a basketball from 29 feet. They're aliens. Yeah, they are Just aliens. like the guys who play for a living, they're aliens. And anybody who thinks that a guy who's a plus four at their club, you put ropes up and, and you know, take him to a tour event, if he breaks 80, I'd be wildly impressed. Right. Wildly. And, and the guys and on... not to insult the guy. No, you're right. And the guys on tour are also aliens at what they do. It's just not as evident, perhaps, as other sports. 
but they yeah, are. It's like a guy who's 31 and he's playing Legion ball, and you go, boy, this guy, you know, he's so. So what? We're we're gonna we're gonna put him in the bullpen and and then just <laughs> put him on the mound and and throw his stuff to guys who are gonna who are gonna just just laser it 450 feet. It's just with golf. I don't know why we do it, but we do it. Like the good tennis player at the club, like whoo, boy, what a great you know. What a great baseline player this guy is. This guy can really hit a good forehand. Just put him on a court with a top 100 player with the spin that these players play with, and the player would be humiliated. All right, let me let me rat a tat tat, and we'll wrap it up here, Gary. Uh, yeah, bunch of things. Shorts for practice rounds. Your thoughts? No problem with it. None. None. I hate it. You know these guys are you. You don't like it. No, I because I think wearing pants. First of all, they make pants really light and breathable now. Number one. Number two. That's what a pro golfer looks like. He wears pants. I don't want. I don't want outfielders in Major League Baseball wearing tank tops just because. Well, we don't have to wear a uniform. We're not going to be doing anything with it. But I'm a traditionalist. That's fine. They, they've won on this yeah. one. Uh, the new rules. I don't want it in tournament rounds, but this it doesn't violate my sensibilities. Fair I'm enough. Watching- you know, Jordan, Tom, Jordan speaks right now. The, the other thing, Steve, about it is, is that, you know, look, we're, we're not looking at Craig Stather. We're not looking at Tim Heron. You know, these guys are, and, and these women, they're, they're fit. Uh, they're, they're, they're more athletic. Now, uh, this narrative that Brooks Kepka, when people see him, and some of these commentators are like, oh, you know, I, I remember last year when he was playing in Charlotte, they're like, yeah, put him next to Luke Keekley. Yeah, put him next to Luke Keekley. He'll look like the punter. Just, uh, <laughs> right, exactly. Golf does, they try too hard I know. To, to force their way into a lane that they have no play, place right. to. But I, I, the, the shorts don't bother me. Does uh, does Not anybody does anybody punk Brandle on set or around the set just as a joke? Punk him in what way? I don't know. Just, he is. Just is there is there a camaraderie where they're like, all right, let's go move yes. Brandel's car, or do, mess with him somehow? Oh, 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 absolutely. Okay. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I, I was texting with him literally this morning. We're gonna, we're we're getting a group together to have dinner tonight, and you know, I call him the junior senator from Arizona because he just all he wants to do is get in the the chamber and filibuster <laughs> and, and present and his present his numbers and his research and everything it, else. Exactly. He's very evidentiary. And, oh, and, yeah. you know, he grew up in a house that was very, Brandle's a very fascinating story. His life is, and, you know, he's carved out a place in the game that is really, really different. And he's one of the first no, no, analysts. He's not, he's, he, yeah. he can be, you can ding him. Okay. He can take it. He's not, he's not, he's not somebody who is, you know, walking around, like he's little Lord Fauntleroy, and and you can't you know <laughs> you can't touch be beyond him. reproach. On right. the contrary, good because he's you know he's also one of the first guys to really bring golf analytics to the fore on television, where he was doing deep time. research dives on look here's where guys are losing shots, here's where the game is different, and I find that fascinating, even though he can be uh, argumentative to say the least. Uh, Duvall, am I wrong for loving Duvall as much as I do as a thoughtful and humble guy who played the game at the highest level? No, not at all. David is, um, you know, when I watched David before I, I was part of, you know, the, the everyday culture of the, the, the industry and covering the tours, I didn't, I didn't have much of an affinity for him at all. Um, and, and, you know, as a player, put the glasses on. Oh yeah. No, a, as a but, player, but he was a, he was a total drip. 
Yeah, as a player, he yeah. was like, this guy is death on wheels. And once he got on television, I was like, God, he's thoughtful and 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 he doesn't he think too much of himself. I really like him on the set. Uh, running along down the line here, uh, does Matt Janella have to travel with security for fear of people stabbing him in the back and trying to take his job because he has the best job in the world? Oh, I travel and play golf and I'm on television. It it, it really is. And and look, I I I couldn't do the job that he does with with you know, with, with children that, that are growing up, sure. um, Matt's job. And, and, and I will say this, that, you know, when he got to the company, it was a couple of years after I got there. I'm like, you know, hmm, how's this going to work? Well, what, what he is, what he has built, um, he deserves a hell of a lot of credit, but it is, it is ludicrous where I, you know, he, he, he has a Friday skins game that, that, uh, we, we play at in Winter Park where we both live. And, you know, he's built that into something. We have 40 people. We had a couple, Steve, that drove 24 hours I, leaving Toronto in a whiteout I see, to, to, to I play see in the nine-hole I see game. that on social media. It's called, what, Mandatory Golf Friday or something like that? Exactly. Yeah. So what he's doing in the places that That's he, open to anybody? He, if I come down, I can anybody, get in on that? Oh, my anybody, God. Let's get, get Come on. <laughs> You're going to have that place overrun right there. All right, last question. I assume by now you've heard of and seen the internet sensation known as Club Pro Guy. Oh, yeah. Your thoughts? Oh, I think it's I, – I, look, I, I, I think that anybody – it's kind of like the guys from No Laying Up, um, Fried Egg, all these people who – you know, I don't know. I, I, I really don't. I don't know the identity. Um, I think it's fantastic. Have you met Club Pro um, Guy in person? No, nope, nope. Have you have talked not. to him? No. Have you broken the fourth and, and wall? It's kind of like Tiger Tracker. Okay. You know who Tiger Tracker is? That's another great mystery online. Who I don't know who that is, but he's very popular. And, and they work for the company I work for, and they won't even tell us. <laughs> That's great. Well, follow Club Pro Guy on Twitter if you're a golf fan, and just be prepared to laugh your face off. I think clearly. Oh, by the way, when yeah. you said no, Steve, when you said, "Have you met him?" Maybe, but I have no idea. <laughs> well, you'd have to play in the men's league with Daryl Bevins, <laughs> his ranger, and Miguel, his superintendent. I mean, it's such a great backstory and ecosystem he created, and clearly the guy is or was a club pro because you know, having been a former assistant club pro back in the day. Mm-hmm you know that all the notes he hits about the job and the lifestyle ring dead true. Yeah, no, he, he knows it. He knows it. Uh, he's spot on. And by the way, I was just watching Spieth, you know, just, just say hello to Roger Clemens. That's why I'm watching this stuff See, on Wednesday go. morning at, at, you know, at, at 10, 10, 20. All right. Your next uh, project aside from weekends morning drive is? Uh, let's see. Next project will be, uh, the, the, the Mike Weir golf channel Academy, uh, that we shot yesterday. It's a three, uh, it's a three episode shoot that will, that will be the run up to the masters. Of course you want it. No three. Uh, so that's coming. And like I said, that the podcast that's going to drop Friday is, uh, as we get, you know, the NCAA tournament, uh, it, you know, obviously selection Sunday is Sunday, but 
Uh, Jay Bill is talking a lot about golf with Brand Snedeker, who's you know nine-time winner. So that'll drop uh, Friday morning at 9 a.m. And uh, let me think, what else do I and have? And then you'll up? be and then you'll uh, be rooting being, being at the players this weekend. Yeah, and then you'll be following your heels in the tournament since you are a uh, cuckoo I, for Cocoa Puffs Tar Heel fan. Uh, let, let me say this about them: um, they they and Roy doesn't get enough credit for this. Um, because they just think, well, you know, they just run and they get better every year. They get better as the season progresses. Joel Berry went to my girls' school, so I watched Joel from eighth grade. Wow. And the other thing about them, Steve, which is interesting, is, is Carolina has gone through this decade where, you know, they had the academic fraud, you know, scandal kind of hanging over the program, and he couldn't, you know, just target all these top five and top eight recruits. He's hit on the right kids, and you know what? His teams are old. The team, the team that won it two years ago, they were juniors and seniors. This group, Cam Johnson, Luke May, Kenny Williams, they're like 30 years old. They've been in college four years. They went to Cameron four times. It's kind of like Hansborough. Hansborough went 4-0 in Cameron. Why? Because he stayed, and, and you know they keep showing up every year, and it's like they're not affected by playing there. Uh, they're good. Now they don't have. It's interesting because they're. It's with Garrison Brooks. He he's not a scoring presence at the five where they've always kind of had somebody who could who could score. And it didn't mean they were great players like Kennedy Meeks and Bryce Johnson. Sean May could score, but but they're doing it a little bit different way. And Kobe White is legit. Six five. He's a top eight pick. Steve. Yeah. Yeah, well, here we go. Tournament time. Gary, great to catch up, man. Glad you're doing well. Always fun to talk golf. Let's end on this today. More fallout from Operation Varsity Blues. This from the New York Post. Ruth Brown, author. Mastermind bribed coaches for his scheme. The college prep advisor behind a nationwide admissions scandal, one William Rick Singer allegedly helped a dad bribe his five foot five inch son into the University of Southern California as a basketball recruit. <laughs> five five, huh? Californian Toby McFarlane was allegedly one of many parents who paid Singer to get his kids into college by bribing corrupt coaches to fast track their admission as athletes, even though they never played for the school. Singer in 2016 directed the college's former assistant soccer coach, Laura Jenke, to create a bogus profile for McFarland's son, saying he was actually six foot one and had been playing on his high school's varsity basketball team since 2014. The story gets a little confusing because you say, well, you know, they haven't fired the basketball coach at USC, and certainly a kid who's 5'5 and can't play basketball would stand out like a sore thumb if he actually did try to pretend to be on the team. It sounds like he enlisted the soccer coach to create a bogus profile and to slip him in under cross-sport subterfuge. At least that's what I read out of this. In fact, the five foot five inch teenager only made varsity in his senior year, and a personal statement drafted by Singer, but ultimately never sent, said that, yeah, he's actually five foot five. This according to court documents. All that said, the boy was accepted as a basketball recruit 
attended the school briefly before withdrawing in May 2018, and of course never played basketball. Singer had earlier got McFarland's daughter into the college as a soccer recruit, falsely claiming she was a U.S. club soccer All-American in the 10th, 11th, and 12th grades. When a USC athletics academic counselor emailed the daughter about her schedule once she was in the school, asking her to change her Friday classes because she would be busy with travel or games, Singer, the fixer, told the dad, have your daughter tell the coaches she has an injury and, quote, will not be practicing or playing for a while. Hey, welcome to USC. Glad to have you in the soccer program. Just a note, you know, you really don't want to take classes on Fridays. We'll be traveling. Oh, yeah, about that. Um, I kind of got an ankle injury. I don't think I'll be playing or practicing. Or you're not even going to see me, actually. But good luck to USC soccer. Fight on. The girl graduated in 2018 without ever playing soccer at USC. For his efforts, the soccer coach, Ali Koshroshian, as well as the women's coach, Jenki, got paid $50,000. Also, there was a fellow check for a, 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 a accompanying check for fifty grand paid to USC Athletics. So, hmm, I'd like to go chase that money. Where'd that money go, huh? Also, the parent paid $400,000 to the fixer's nonprofit charity, $100,000 of which was then funneled to the soccer club. Oh, let's see. It goes to the club and the charity, and here's the money going here. Boy, the feds will never unravel that scheme. Oh, what? What? Oh, they have, account- they have forensic accountants? Forensic accountants. That, that's all they do? is track money and unravel schemes and fraudulent what wow i didn't didn't know they had that i kind of thought nobody would know being so sneaky these white collar fraud criminals are so funny thinking oh no one will figure this out i've got a charity trust me if the feds start zeroing in on you they're going to find the money and they're going to unravel your scheme pretty quick. USC said in a statement that it's conducting an internal investigation and is in the process of identifying any funds received by the university in connection with this alleged scheme. Good luck on that. Fight on, Southern Cal. Fight on. That will do it for today. Download, subscribe, comment, and like. Tell a couple friends. Get the Zabecast app. Subscribe to Premium. By going to zabe.com slash premium tomorrow, Mr. X, on the Friday paid edition of the Zabecast. Podcasts are like the future that's Netflix for your ears. Email me with topics and suggestions. Now go on out there and make sure you tip your hotel maids when you check out, you heathens. And we will see you next time. Oh, there's nothing quite like the smell of fresh blood upsets in the month of March. The 12-5 stunners, the 11-over-6 buzzer beaters. But most of the time, what do you get for that? A dash of I told you so at the water cooler? Oh, look at my bracket. I nailed that one. Great. 
Wouldn't you rather get paid instead? At mybookie.ag, you can and you will. The 12-5 upset when betting with MyBookie is a take-your-girl-out-to-steak-dinner winner winner. And right now, when you sign up for an account, MyBookie will match your deposit with a 50% bonus. Here, just have 50% more. Why not? Use promo code ZABE, Charlie, Zulu, Alpha, Bravo, Echo, at mybookie.ag to activate. We're all going to be in office pools, and that's fine. Nobody's going to get the perfect bracket. We know that. But you can make a killing at tournament time by seeing the big mistake coming and pouncing. So let's go, people. My bookie will match your deposit with a 50% bonus. Use promo code ZABE to activate the offer. You play, you win, you get paid. Only at mybookie.ag.